Our second reading comes from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap the harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. When you beat your olive trees, don't strip what's left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, don't glean what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. Sometime in the 1970s, my friend Carl and his college roommates were making dinner. They'd scraped together enough to make dinner for the four of them, <clears throat> the four who lived together. And dinner was just about ready when one of the guys came home with a friend. This was not in the plan. There was dinner for four people, but here was this fifth person. So they, they split the meal onto five plates and for whatever reason, Carl couldn't remember, they decided not to use forks, but chopsticks. And these were all white guys, all raised in the States. So however good they were with chopsticks, they weren't their natural thing. And because of that, the chopsticks slowed them down just enough. And that thing happened that people say will happen, which is that they ate more slowly than usual, and they filled up as they went, and they were more aware of how full they were earlier in the meal. And by the time the plates were empty, all five of them felt completely full. Carl used to roll out this anecdote every summer at the camp he ran to encourage us all to eat more slowly, I think. And I'm not, I'm not sure that that worked, but in the 25 years since I first heard that story, I think about those chopsticks a lot. Things didn't turn out okay with the meal because a neighbor showed up at the right time with some leftovers or because surprise the fifth guy had actually brought a loaf of bread with him turns out they had had all the food they needed all along what they needed was a systemic fix for those guys the chopsticks did the trick they created a boundary you can only eat as fast as these chopsticks will allow you to there are households neighborhoods, countries, where there is not enough food, not enough food for people to live on. But that's not the situation we're in. Uh, we live in a time and a place when there is enough in a country where, okay, I'll include one statistic, a country where 30 to 40% of the food goes to waste. Like I said, that means that the problem is not that we need more food. I wanna be clear, while statistically each of our households throws away about $1,500 worth of food every year because we bought too much or we let it go bad, or if we're honest, we didn't really want that cauliflower to begin with, or because we scrape just a little bit off our plates every day and it adds up. This is not a problem of individual behaviors only. Edible food gets tossed at every step of the way on farms, in processing and packaging, in distribution, at restaurants, in grocery stores. In other words, it's a systems problem. There are parts of our system that leaves people hungry that are harder to represent with statistics, even if I wanted to throw more in. Like this is a system that wants to ask 
what choices people made that left them hungry? What choices did people make that left them with more kids than they can feed? A system that asks what else you're spending your money on, a system that pays people $11 an hour and rents them a studio for an average of $950 a month in Cook County. A system that teaches us to say even the most loving and generous among us, especially the most generous and loving among us, wouldn't it be better if people had more? If only people had more, and, and it is true, there are people and households and neighborhoods and states where the minimum wage should be more, and there should be more good teachers, and there should be more resources, and there should be more grocery stores with more food. But the system-wide problem is not one of scarcity. There is plenty of food. There is tons of food. It's a problem of distribution, which is to say we need some chopsticks. The people of God had spent generations living in a system that taught a relentless more. Enslaved in Egypt, they'd had it beaten into them. More cities built for Pharaoh, more work without rest, more bricks with less straw, more production from fewer resources. And when they organized to complain about it, the response came back, you are lazy, lazy. That's a quote from Exodus, not my poetic license. Lazy, lazy. That's why you're tired. That's why you don't have enough. The people of God were in Egypt because of their ancestor, Joseph, whose whole family had followed him there out of hunger. A famine in their own land led them to Egypt where they begged to buy food from, it turns out, Joseph himself. Joseph who had risen to power. Joseph, who had understood a warning dream about the coming famine and got to work for one of the richest countries on earth. He gathered up food when there was plenty. He stored up food in the cities. He stored up so much that he stopped measuring it. And then when the hunger came, Joseph sold that food back to the Egyptians. He sold them food they had grown, that he had gathered from them. That's the system that Joseph helped build. From that angle, you could start to think that the whole system was rigged from the start, that the whole foundation was wrongheaded or let's say corrupt. A system in which people make what's needed but don't themselves have what's needed. And then generations later, when hungry people, I mean, sure, a different demographic now, Joseph's enslaved descendants, when hungry people organized to demand what's needed, the answer came back, lazy, lazy. That's why you don't have enough. It couldn't be because we designed a system to hoard and profit from food. It couldn't be because we built a system designed to forever make more but leave you hungry. I met Carl on his family farm where the Curtises had been running a children's camp for 80 years, a beautiful little place that I've preached about plenty. They also made maple syrup and grew vegetables, milked a few cows. The Curtises are deeply consistent people, gentle and among the least wasteful people I've ever met. Carl would notice a kid like pulling up grass during Quaker meeting and, and later with his little smile, he would suggest there was no reason to do that to the grass. 
I learned so much there and I learned to appreciate a different scale of life and a proximity to the food I ate and a great reluctance to waste any of it, especially when I'd seen up close the work and resources it took. That little farm had a huge impact on generations of people. People who now work in medicine and politics and agriculture and, and church. And so that little farm has had in that way an impact on the whole world. But at the same time, even that farm with its vast ripple effects, it's not at the scale of our broken food system that leaves so many, even the ones who are able to work so hard, so hungry. That little farm is like one meal stretched to feed one extra person. When God had busted the people out of slavery in Egypt, God had a much bigger fix in mind. God's dream was for a different system built on a different foundation that asked different questions, a system that asked about the choices and priorities, not of individuals, but of the whole. A system that demanded not more, but set out guidelines for how the abundance of the system would be shared. A system that said the abundance wasn't meant to be gathered up and stored and sold, but left out in the open. Just leave it for any who needed it. That system, that's what's laid out in Deuteronomy, one of the books of the Bible that we New Testament Christians tend to skip over. So many rules, so many guidelines, laws about capital punishment, sex, and what not to eat. From earlier in chapter 24, no one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life, not relevant. Except, if you read Deuteronomy from the angle that this is God's dream for a new system, then even that weird millstone line sounds different. If someone has to forfeit on a loan, don't take away their livelihood. That's like killing them. In our section for today about how to grow and harvest food, what Stephanie talked about in her story, don't harvest your fields bare. Don't strip the olives from the trees. Don't gather up every last grape in the vineyard. Leave it, leave it for the most vulnerable, the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, the ones without financial support. This is a system-wide fix, a system with boundaries for how much you can gather and store up, a system with a built-in stop instead of a relentless more, a system with some margins, and not profit margins, but margins for survival wide enough to live in, a system designed to slow everything down a little bit so that everyone can feel completely full. Deuteronomy is part of the Torah, the, the law, the five books of Moses. But scholars have long believed that this is the scroll that was found by the reformer King Josiah in the seventh century BCE. It's well after the time of the Torah's composition, well after the time of Moses. The scroll was discovered in the temple during King Josiah's reign, which was an era of renewal and renewed justice seeking. Josiah's dream was one of religious and cultural distinction, a way of showing that the people of God stood out in their region for who they were and how they lived. It was a time, his dream was that they would be unique in their systems, systems designed for holiness, systems set apart by their loyalty to God and neighbor. 
you can take it as part of the literary tradition. It's a book of Moses. You can take it as part of the historical criticism. It's a new book made to look old. But either way, it's for the same purpose, to lay a new foundation and to build a new system, one that sets the people apart from Pharaoh and Egypt. Remember, God says twice, you were a slave. Remember that old system? that puts the weight of a whole empire's inequality and injustice on your shoulders? Remember that system that puts the burden of your hunger on you alone, even though it was the result of a system we built for generations? Remember that system? Remember, God says, how I led you out of that place? Therefore, God says twice, I'm commanding you to do this new thing, build this new system, to leave margins, to slow down. This list, this book suggests that it is not enough to give out of the goodness of our hearts or to trust that we will notice where there is hunger and want to respond. We need a system. And if it seems arbitrary and constructed, just a list of rules, remember, that the system in Egypt was arbitrary too and constructed, just like ours. Systems don't happen by accident. They don't remain forever the same, benefiting the few and gouging the many by accident. Systems are not torn down and rebuilt by accident. It takes an overhaul. It takes laws, policies. It takes people being willing to slow down, to stop, to share. It takes people being willing at least some of the time to do nothing so that the abundance that is everywhere all around us can be accessed by all who need it. It takes a new system or the original one, God's dream that we need to discover again and again. 